Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. Top 40 country radio recording artist D.A. Cole is firing things up on the Lions Radio Network with this provocative approach to talk radio. Hot topics, interesting guests, and music will entice listeners to call in and join the conversation on Turning Up the Heat. Welcome to Turning Up the Heat. Hi, I'm D.A. Cole, along with my co-host, Brian Gard. Hey. All right. Tonight's guest is a music producer who has had a long and illustrious career working with a vast array of the most recognizable names in music history, such as Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, the Rolling Stones, Miles Davis, and the list goes on and on and on. But he may be most well-known for his work with Carlos Santana, producing nine albums, one of which earned him a Grammy Award. Please welcome Glenn Kalatkin. Glenn. All right. Hey, Glenn, how are you? Oh, pretty good. How are you today? We're doing well. We're so glad. We're so, so pleased to have you, uh, to have you on the show, being that uh, I'm in the industry, and, um, and I love to talk to people who have had um, you know, the accomplishments that you've had in the industry. Um, it's fascinating to me, and I've got some interesting um, – I've got some questions, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing some of the uh, – the stories that I know you'll uh, you'll you'll be able to share with us uh, in regards to some of the you know some of the experiences um, that you've had with some of the artists you've worked with and some of the records that you produced. Uh, my first question to you is: How did you get started in the music industry? I'm really curious to know. I don't think I read anything about that on you. Take us uh, in the way back machine. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it started as as a hobby actually. Uh, but oh, wow. when I was a kid, we had a we had a doo-wop group, and doo-wop was the big thing back then. And uh, I just wanted to hear how we sounded, and I couldn't afford a tape recorder back then. And my father bought me a disc-cutting machine. Uh, that's what people used to have in the in the 1940s before tape recorders were out. So this thing must have laid in somebody's closet for who knows how many years. And uh, so I got the machine home, and I recorded uh, my group. And in my high school, the word spread rapidly that uh, I could actually make records. You know, it was 78 RPM records, but back then uh, all the turntables had three speeds. So I could play uh, 33s, 45s, and 78s. Uh Sure. Uh, so uh, and there were plenty of doo-wop groups in the school, and they all wanted oh, to make a record. Oh, you must have been a popular they, guy. <laughs> yeah, and so they all, you know, would come to my and uh, we'd be uh, recording, you know, and they'd take the records home and, you know, they'd play them at the sock hops and whatnot that they used to have back then. And so I guess that's the way I really got started. But... After I was in the Army, I, when I got out of the Army, the service, I was 1A, so I, had a, so I joined because uh, war was starting, the Vietnamese war was starting, and I was about mm-hmm. ready to get drafted. But I found out if I joined the Army, I could pick a occupation or a location. So I picked Europe. And then they... They interviewed me and said, well, you're going to be in the Army for three years. What do you want to do? So I, I said, I'd really like to be on a radio station. So they sent me to the Signal Corps School in Fort Gordon, Georgia. And I went to the radio school there and uh, later on became in charge of the radio station. And uh, then I, once I got out, once I got out of uh, the Army, uh my uncle came over to visit me. He said, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I'd really like to get into the recording industry. So he says, well, why don't you get the Manhattan Yellow Pages and start calling up recording studios? And so that's what I did. And the first studio listed was a place called A1 Sound Studios. So I called up 
uh, A1 Sound Studios, and I spoke with uh, the owner. His name was Herb Abramson. He mm-hmm. said, come on down and uh, for an interview, which I did do. And I later on found out that uh, Herb Abramson uh, started a record company with this guy, Ahmet Erdogan, and they called it Atlantic Records. <laughs> Herb financed the, uh, Atlanta Records to the tune of about $8,000, and they started, and the first studio they had was A1 Sound Studios, mm-hmm. and that's where I was working. But I didn't find this out till, for after a while, but all my uh, the groups that I idolized were, would hang out there. It was amazing. You know, so I was recording, you know, artists like uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins and uh, and groups like that, you know, and uh, Dave Baby Cortez. And I remember one time the Four Tops came in. They were appearing. Uh, they were appearing. Uh, at the Paramount or one of those places, and so they want to mm-hmm. do some recording. So here I was in the recording industry for about three months. I'm working with the Four Tops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all I have to say about that is, you lucky bastard. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, uh, and and Glenn, real quick, I mean, thank you so much for your service, um, uh, first and foremost, and the the fact that you were able to kind of dictate where you wanted to uh, go is, is I don't know if they're, they're doing that these days. I think they pretty much sign you up and ship you out. But uh, it, it looks, I almost wanted, begs the question, if you were like the precursor to Good Morning Vietnam back then. Right. <laughs> well, I guess that was really funny. You know, speaking about Vietnam, later on when I, I finally got to uh, – Work for Columbia Records. Uh, the first hit I had was a thing called "Time Has Come Today" by the Chambers Brothers. Oh yeah, sure. I know the record. Yeah, very well. and that that thing ended up in so many Vietnamese or Vietnam oh, yeah. era, tel- uh, you know, movies. Mm-hmm. Full metal and jacket. I would never know I that. Ever, yeah, I never knew it would be in the movies until I saw the movie, and I was always shocked every time <laughs> I heard it. Which was fun, isn't that? Isn't that how most artists find, uh, or back in the day, found? Like all of a sudden, they found their songs were being used in movies, and it's like, hey, wait a minute, uh, shouldn't we be getting a check for that? <laughs> right. Well, I was. See, I, I started. I wasn't producing at that time. I was an engineer. I started as a recording engineer before I be, became a producer. What What did you like? What do you, What do you? Um, if you can, can kind of contrast the two roles. Uh, producing versus engineering. I mean, how, how, what kind of allowed you to gravitate towards the production side versus uh, kind of the engineering side? Maybe what you liked and didn't like about either of those. Well, the reason I got into it is because I didn't really like how the uh, how the records were sounding. You know, so I figured, gee, if I could control the way these things sounded, that would really make me happy. But uh, as soon as I, I got into making records that would actually come out, they assigned a producer uh, to uh, to work with me. And he was telling me how he wanted it to sound, and the producer was the boss. So, so I believe me, I made a lot of records uh, that I really didn't care uh, the way they sounded. I mean, I didn't care for the way they sounded. You know, I mean, it was the producer telling me how they wanted to sound, and so... You know, if I go through the whole collection of about 390 albums that I've done, uh, some of them to me sound better than the others do. Yeah, know? sure. You know, so, but uh, if I, you know, I could skip around a lot, you know, but I, when I started producing well, records, uh, <clears throat> I was uh, working with uh, Richie Cordell. Rich, Richie Cordell was a songwriter. And he uh, he wrote things like I think we're alone now and Moni Moni, which were huge mm-hmm. hits way back for in Tommy the James, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we worked on I Love Rock and Roll together, and uh, then we became partners, kind of, you know. And we were both producing records. And and one time he told he asked me for, and I was also producing records uh, alone at that time. 
and working with Richie, and Richie said to me, how come your records sound better than our records? <laughs> I said, Richie, you know, our records are, are, you know, half you and half me. If you say you like something one way, and, you know, I may not agree totally with that, but, you know, since we're both producing them, you know, kind of making both of us happy. So he said, well, from now on, you, you take care of the sound. I'll go out and spend more time with the groups in the studio. So that's what, what we did from that point on. At at the time, you were recording to to tape. You were tracking to tape, to two inch yeah. reel. Um, and um, did you? You know, I, I'm sh- I'm sure that you at you know at some point when everything went digital, uh, this is this is a big difference in in the technique and the way that things are tracked and um, compression and uh, the entire industry really changed as the digital age uh, took over the recording industry. How did that affect you? And what are your thoughts and, um, in, in, the, in that, in that process now, on uh, in the difference of recording digitalized to recording analog as you did prior? Well, you know, I started with analog, of course, and, uh, really got better and better because when I was working at Columbia records, I met this guy, uh, I never heard of him before, but his name was Ray Dolby. And he was trying to sell Columbia Records uh, a noise reduction system <laughs> right. because tape always had hiss on it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were using that, so it made it better. And then we it, they keep we kept getting better and better at it, making the records, you know, until digital came out. And, uh, and that, when that came out, it just didn't have the warmth that the analog had. And most right. people at that time said that... Uh, you know, analog was better, but it caught up. Digital caught up, and uh, and uh, the Pro Tools came out. And at first, I really didn't like Pro Tools at all because uh, it just didn't. I couldn't get the impact on that that I could with uh, analog tapes on a 24-track tape recorder. But now they caught up, and it's it's great. You know, I have Pro Tools at home right now. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, you know it's funny. There, there's still uh, there's still a uh, underground uh, purist mentality within the framework of some bands. Where, uh, for example, I'm I'm a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan. That's a story for another time. But uh, I know Billy Corrigan still, you know, in, under some circumstances prefers analog. Um, than, uh, and tape and, and I know it is problematic or not problematic but just lengthy in the mix down stage and all that and it just is a probably maybe a little bit more time consuming um, but there there are there are a number of purists still roaming around out there that just uh, you know come hell or high water we're going analog well I have to tell you the truth the one thing that we had to do back when analog was king and it was the only thing we would have to record the whole band together Right, right. Get a band that that was a good band, and the drummer is is working with the bass player and is working with right. the guitar player, and, mm-hmm. and they'd be working off each other. And there's a certain magic that you could only get by recording it live like that. Yeah, and, right. And you know, it, it was it was just amazing. Now with digital, you know, a lot of people are making records in their bedrooms and they're playing all the parts. Uh, that myself included on the computer. <laughs> yeah, you myself know. included. The uh, the uh, the other aspect is that a lot of people fault the approach, not necessarily digital recording and being able to kind of uh, piecemeal stuff together a lot quicker. And 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 obviously, there's tons of filters and tons of different tools you can use at your disposal in a very rapid uh, kind of combination and and uh, put it together in a in a way that is. Uh, we can listen to it immediately, um, but just the, the the fact that this this auto tuning for people's voices uh, when you just aren't getting like they're just not hitting that note or, or maybe they just were tired of doing 50 100 takes we're just gonna auto tune this thing and I think that's kind of been one of the bugaboos uh, running around these days. Right. Well, uh, you're right. You know, but she was. I you know I recorded. A- Huge orchestras of my career. We might have sixty-five musicians in there, and and one singer, and they get it right after one the first take a lot of times. Sometimes wow. two takes, and the magic was happening there. Imagine trying to do a sixty-five piece orchestra with uh, digital. You know, 
I mean, you could do string sections and, and all that, you know, digital, and it sounds good now, like at the studio I'm involved with, they have the Viennese strings, and it sounds like the real thing, you know. But there's nothing like the real strings when you got, sure. you know, you know, violins, violas, cellos, basses, or everything, you know. And it's very exciting making records like that. Is from an engineering standpoint, where you're hearing the whole record coming out of out of the speakers yeah. at once. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the, background the, singers, lead singers, the whole thing. You know. So I just wanted to mention um, we we failed at the outset to say that. Uh, we are taking calls. We do take calls on this show. I don't know why. I guess I just was asleep at the wheel. Yeah, we, we, um, <clears throat> we've had some call, callers come in. We've had some drop off the board. If you guys want to call in out there, talk to Glenn. Uh, I mean, he's just an immense academy of, uh, of arts and science and music uh, history uh, in his head and, and all the things he's done in his life. 646-668-8494. And folks, please, I, I see a number of uh, people called in already. Have some patience. Listen to the show while you're waiting on hold, and we'll eventually get to you, I promise. Actually, Glenn, if you're okay, we'd like to take a call right now. And, um, go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. Hi, you're on, you're on the line. Say hi to Glenn. Uh, hello, are you there? You're on the line. Hello, caller. Okay, hello? Uh, All right, we're, we're moving hello? on. Hello, 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 <laughs> okay. hello. Hello, uh, are you there? Calling from Cleveland, Ohio. Are you there? Hi. Uh, Cleveland, Ohio is here, home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, right. I want to get in that. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to walk down and pick it uh, after the show today. Okay. Okay. Uh, hello to Glenn. Hi, how you doing? Uh, real good. Question, uh, I understand you were intimately involved in the uh, Jimi Hendrix Electric Ladyland uh, album. And uh, just curious, uh, was, is there any uh, backstory to the, uh, why he decided to record uh, All Along the Watchtower, which was a Dylan tune? Well, I could tell you a little about the, the Jimi Hendrix uh, sessions. See, I was working at Columbia Studios at that time, and uh, I came in one day, and there was a booking on a, you know, of a setup, and I asked them, I said, well, who, who's coming in? And they said, we don't know, but but uh, just set up the studio that way, and uh, the artists will show up you know, at 7 o'clock at night, and the door opens at about 7 o'clock, and in walks Jimi Hendrix, and he introduces himself to me. He says, hi, my name is Jimmy. And I said, yeah, I know that. You know, My, my name is Glenn. And he told me that uh, I've been working on this record for, for about a year, and I just don't like the way it's coming out, and so we're going to remix it. And, uh, and, uh, that's, and I, I wasn't really a big fan of his at that time. I heard of him, of course. Mm-hmm. But we started to work on it, and when I heard All Along the Watchtower, I became a fan because I thought that was incredible, you know, and other tunes on there like Crosstown Traffic and Voodoo right. Child and all that. And so actually, I you know, I was doing the remix to that. I didn't actually do the, the recording itself. But, what, but I know different people that he worked with around that time, and everyone knew... Uh, you know who wrote it, and 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 people would just share tunes, and he probably picked it like that. I thought that that was my favorite tune that I worked on with him. Actually, is all along the Watchtower. Right, it's my favorite tune as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, thanks that, so that, much. Uh, you're very uh, welcome for calling in. Uh, and I think we got a we got another caller. Uh, feel free, Cleveland, to stay on the line and listen that way if you wish. We got uh, somebody calling in from the old 847. Are you there, caller? I am here. All right. Say hello to Glenn. Am I on the air? You are. 
Am I allowed to say all the great things I want to say about that guy, Glenn Kalotkin? <laughs> you can even is, cuss if you want to. It's the internet. Oh, I don't want to do that. Turning up the heat, so you can say There's no you reason like. to cuss if you got Glenn Kalotkin there. He's, he oh, said well. it all already. But he's, uh, <laughs> Glenn and I go back to the earliest days of analog recording from the original Atlantic Records with Herb Abramson. And uh, when I left, Glenn filled in for me. I went back over to the east side of Manhattan and uh, Glenn you know, he just doesn't know how to not make a record. The guy he turns it up up is louder, down is softer and there's a hit right there. Yeah. Is this Joe Jet and with Gladys Knight and with uh you know, all these wonderful records that Glenn has made. He just, Would you like to and you know yourself? I heard you you put him on the spot a little bit about digital because Glenn is an analog engineer, and if you set him up with digital, he will make an analog record with it. Because I don't think analog—I don't think digital has anything to do with analog records. What I think is the approach to making records, the way musicians approach it, the way the engineer approaches it, and the medium is either analog or digital. But if Glenn sat down at a digital console and did a record, you wouldn't know that it was digital. He would probably get hung up with some of the technicalities of it and the, and the anomalies. But as far as knowing what knob to turn and what button to push to get that sound out, Glenn is the guy that would get it. Well, I'm, so, I'm personally curious. If you wouldn't mind, would you care to introduce yourself to us and to our listening audience? Well, let, yeah. me <laughs> let me introduce him. Would you, would this you, if you don't mind, Glenn? Yeah, this is Jim Reeves. Now, I've known a lot of engineers in my career, and if I could pick one that I respect the most about how his record sounds, it's Jim Reeves. This is Jim Reeves, right? Be careful now. You don't want to piss everybody off, Glenn. No, yes, no, this is Jim no, Reeves, not I mean, the country western singer. Either. Yes, I, I, there is another Jim Reeves, and that's who I was. Tell me about I, it. He gets all my credits. The guy was dead ten years yeah. before I made records, and he still gets my credits on the album. No one. He doesn't call me up anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, ahead, Jim. this is fantastic. Ahead, this is a real. To, didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no, this is a real treat. This is a real treat to have you, uh, have you joining us tonight. Uh, if I if I had known you were calling in, I would have probably done uh, a little bit more prep work. <laughs> no, that's but, yeah, uh, but, you know. Let, we, let me tell you. Let me tell you about Jim Reeves. You know, like he's, uh, uh, you know, no new uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney and all these people like I've that. Never heard of know. them. <laughs> they were laid back people that I knew. Yeah, even Yoko, yeah, right? That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah uh, but, you know, Glenn and I managed acts like Bobby Lester, the great Bobby Lester. We, you know, we were constantly doing things where we got to, we had to deal with Apple Records with a group. But between the lawyer and the, the, the lead artist in the act messing up and gumming up all the works, that screwed up our deal there. I mean, we were just that close to, to getting a deal. And we spent a lot of time going over to this Columbia Records Black Rock building with our mixes of records on their sound systems. And they had, you know, one speaker was up on a shelf and the other was behind the chair and the tweeter was hanging out. This is A&R department of Columbia Records, you know. But that's how they listen to records every day. So we figured... Well, okay, even though we hate what it sounds like in their office, they're used to it. Right. But we had lots of great times doing things together as partners, and I always admired and enjoyed every record that Glenn made. I'm very proud of his his achievements in this thing. It's, you can't see the pain on his wall because of all the gra- the the gold and platinum record. Right, we, I have I, that's our, that was our promo picture for for the uh, for the promo yeah, package for the show. And uh, I, know, well, I slept in that room. I slept in that room two months ago, so I I know. What well, well, Jim, those Jim, are the corners he gave you and made you sleep on the floor. <laughs> Jim, it's been a it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, our phone lines, our board is lit up, so we'd like well, to give I just uh, another call. Hopefully that you know when there's a the, as a candidate for the Engineering Hall of Fame, Glenn is 
definitely on the top of the list. Awesome. That well, would we're be gonna, my we're gonna, vote. We're, we're going to have to have a little bit of, you know, longer conversation about that. Um, but if you, okay, if, well, you, if you like, if you like please, please stay on. And, and, yeah, please stay on and listen to the remainder of the show. And, um, and we're going to take another caller right now. And thanks again, Jim, and, and best of luck with everything in your future endeavors. And uh, thanks for calling in. All right, area code 954. Are you That's there? That's me. Hello. Hello. This is uh, Glenn's uh, dear friend in, in Fort Lauderdale, Cal Fagan. I feel like this is your life, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this can is you crazy. hear me? <laughs> yes, can hear I can hear you. I'm Cal Fagan. I'm an FAU, uh, Florida Atlantic University student, and my music major, introdu- uh, he was an attorney, introduced me to Glenn, and we worked on a project putting an album together of an album that I did some 60 years ago of music. Glenn took all ragtag parts, like 45s and 78s and and and, and transcripts from a radio program and made an album. You'd think it was done digital, like brand new. The man is amazing. The one fault he has, he's not a good enough promoter on himself and his career. And now we're working on getting him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In September, they're giving us encouragement along with Santana's promotion, and hopefully he'll be in the rock, we'll all be visiting him in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I love the guy, and I love his wife, Carol, and I'd like to think that they're dear friends of mine. The man is amazing, and he has secrets in his engineer. He did a, he did a, a, a concert at our college, the young kids today, you know, that would say, oh, there's an old man up there, along with me being an old they just were star-stunned. They couldn't ask him questions about techniques, and, and, and now they, they constantly want him. Uh, the, uh, the, the guy that runs the, what do you call it, was from Ten Wheel Drive, fell in love with him, the, the, um, uh, Mark Zager, the, uh, that had millions of record sales himself was just in awe over Glenn. When you oh, meet Mark Glenn, Zager, you just... Zager and Evan? Yeah, from 10-Wheel Drive. Okay. He um, was, that, that group was comparable to, like, a Beatles in the 60s and 70s. Well, we're certainly going to do our part here to help uh, whatever we can. To and get help, me, help me get him elected. The we're man just will not say a big word about himself. He needs our help. <laughs> well, yeah, certainly, and, uh, you know, I think they still have that WhiteHouse.org petition. I'll f- certainly fire one of those up. Uh, please, and, uh, please, because yeah. this man deserves more recognition. The people in the business know who he is. I want the world to know who he is. Yeah, you know, Glenn, yeah, and, and you raise a great point. Uh, this this is a great segue into kind of your thoughts on just um, the Rock Hall in general, uh, I mean, it's, is it, I, I've got a lot of opinions, certainly. I mean, it's, it's one of, you know, as rock and roll is controversial, as should its, uh, allegedly, as should its, uh, its museum, which is really ultimately what it winds up being, is as well. And uh, it's just well, kind of interesting. Well, there's politics in it, yes. There's politics. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. always. So it's just, I find it interesting to me that, you know, the rock genre, there's quite a number of folks that are just being inducted that I necessarily wouldn't slide into I, I'm reading you. You're preaching to the choir. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. Uh, and, and a guy like Glenn has got to fight to get in. We almost got in last year. And the top woman, uh, uh, Shelby Morrison, that's yeah, Shelby. Vote. You know Shelby. If you know Shelby, push her because she thinks I'm just biased. I love the guy, but show that other people feel the same. Help me get them in. Yeah, we'll, we'll do everything we can. Uh, and thanks thanks for dialing in tonight and saying hi. Uh, obviously, we're all big fans of Glenn, and we're, we're going to do what we can on our end. And thank you so Bless much. Bless you. Love you. Right. Bless you. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, so, uh, Glenn, real quick, we got, we got another caller here. Are, are you still good? Still good? Yeah, I'm fine. All right, all right. Caller, 
Uh, well, actually, here, hold on one second. Uh, well, they, they they just dropped off, so we'll uh, we'll go ahead and uh, well, actually, we'll just we'll. I, I asked you a question, I didn't even get a chance to get an answer out of you, at least an honest one. Um, just kind of you know the lay of the landscape as it relates to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't want to get into the necessarily the induction thing. I mean, I think that's kind of a tired. Uh, we all know that there's big problems with with the nominations and and how the votes go down. And and certainly there's a there's a Santa Claus list of artists that just have not gotten their due. It, not to mention artists, but also all of the people that contribute in the background to make the music uh, what it is to, uh, to to that that people gravitate towards. So just a, a just you know off the top of your head, do you have anything you know about like just the fact that the Rock Hall is more of a a, 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 a music uh, uh, kind of uh, academy of of, uh, of awardship versus the versus just a pure rock and roll Hall of Fame. Well, you know, you know, it's it's because of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that I got my Grammy actually. Because I was uh, living in New York and uh, Santana. The original Santana band was in being inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I wasn't feeling that well that day. But my and my wife was upstairs, so I called uh, to my wife and I said, "Carol, you got to come down here and see this because these are the people I work with." And she watched them being inducted to the Hall of Fame, and she said, "Why don't you write a letter to Carlos and tell him congratulations?" And I said, "Sure, that's a good idea." And I did, and he called me up, and he said. Hey, it's great to hear from you. Would you like to work on my next record? Which turns out to be Supernatural, the one I got a Grammy for. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm in favor of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because if it wasn't for that, I probably would have congratulated him, to, you know, and, uh, and but it, well, this... I got to work on that album because of that uh, uh, letter. Actually, it was a letter I sent him. I didn't call him up. I sent him a letter and and that worked out. And I, I and I looked at the list of all the people that are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I, I've worked with 35 people that are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, this, so, there's, there's something not right about that. There's so much politics involved, and uh, yeah, you know, I guess if, if more people are are bringing your name up on shows such as ours here, um, maybe it'll, it'll raise a little more awareness to your accomplishments, and um, and the next time around, um. They'll they'll give you the honor that you certainly deserve. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, one of my uh, friends is a guy named Gary U.S. Bonds, and he he should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so I was uh, I saw him not too long ago. I said, "How come you're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?" He says, "I don't know. You know, Bruce Springsteen produced one of my albums, and he's on the board." And he recommended me for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He said. Boy, I mean, so, yeah. So Gary isn't in yet either. So who knows what's going on there, politically speaking? Wow. And and just to just to tie up uh, this, you know, for anyone that's that's it finds uh, it questionable that Glenn shouldn't even be in the forefront of getting nominations, let me just rattle off a couple names: Talking Heads, Paul Winter. Uh, Les Duddick, Guess Who, Pacific Gas and Electric, The Love and Spoonful, Patti LaBelle, Illinois Speed Pass, Tito Puente, Eddie and Charlie Palmieri, uh, Kenny Garrett, Lenny White, John McLaughlin, Moby Grape, Buddy Miles, Tony Brenner, Lionel Hampton, Burrito, Jimmy Ruffin, Captain Beefheart, one of my own personal favorites uh, from a psychedelia. Uh, I mean, the Tops, the Ramones, uh, Robert Palmer, who, I mean, come on. Uh, let's start the let's start the, uh, uh, the, the the machine now to get this thing rolling and, and get you in there. And honestly, Glenn, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, for crying out loud. Uh, I've been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame numerous times. Uh, I'm telling you right now, it's it's just uh, I, I will go down there next time I'm I'm home visiting the folks, uh, and and I'll I'll just start a I'll start a, a riot down there because that's what that's what this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame needs is a good old fashioned riot out front. Right, yeah, it'd be great coming from a, a, a country uh, artist too. Oh <laughs> uh, well, well, the, <laughs> well, I'm I'm, I'm just DA sidekick in this thing, so uh, we're gonna go ahead and we, I think we've got a special. Yes, we producer. definitely have a we have a special caller, and um, I think you might recognize his voice when he comes on the phone. This is your life. 
Caller, hey. say hi. Say hi to Glenn. Hello? Hello, you're on the line. There hi. you go. Say hi to Glenn. This is uh, on the air. It's a little delayed. I've known this man since I believe it was September 3rd, 1973. We met in Marin County General Hospital. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you do know each other then. Oh, yes, very well. <laughs> you this, my this, did you meet him like in the delivery room or I'm trying to figure out? To, to let our well, listeners know what's going met, on here. I met uh, David, yes. <laughs> in the Just to let our, our listeners know what's going on here. This is, uh, this is uh, look, the caller on the line is David Kalatkin, Glenn Kalatkin's son. So I'll let you guys go ahead and chat for a minute. And uh, I know that David, um, David has prompted, he's let me know that he has uh, a few questions that he wanted to ask you. Uh, on air that might be of interest to our listeners. So, David, I'll let you take it away from here and go ahead and uh, ask your dad some things that you uh, thought he might 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 uh, bring up some stories, some interesting stories that our listeners would be uh, would be curious to hear. Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of them have been talked about already. But talking about Captain Beefheart, um, I remember meeting this man. We were living in Long Island, and uh, wow, my father kind of warned me, like you know. Some recording artists, they're a little bit different, interesting. And I just remember this very big man coming up in a cape with a very scruffy, rough voice. And he, um, he was very friendly, and he drew an abstract uh, picture for my father and I. Back then, you know, I must have been. Actually, I'm looking at it right now. And his autograph says, T. David Love, Don Van Vliet, a.k.a. Captain B. Fart, and says July 15th, 1980. So I was probably about seven years old, I guess, and... Very into, into like Dracula and things like that. So he drew a picture of Dracula for me and one for my father. Still have it to this day. But I wanted my father to just mention, and I don't want to take this time up because I kind of have a direct link with my father, uh, not like most of you folks. So I could get a hold of him any time. But if you just kindly tell a story about Captain Defard when he was giving you a champagne toast and a fireplace. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, that was. Well, I, I, I wanted to. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I had uh, you had uh, Glenn uh, to our listeners. Glenn had told me a story that uh, before I forget tonight, I really want you to tell the listeners um, the story about uh, when you were working with Janis Joplin and uh, a long-haired gentleman walked in to the recording session and had a song that he had written for uh, for Janis. And, and just just tell the listeners about that story. Well, uh, well, first hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. That's a, I'm sure it's a great story, but I, you have me at Captain Beefart doing a toast. <laughs> right. Well, which which story should I tell first? Uh, well, I can, I can tell you both of them if we have enough time, I guess. We do? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, we uh, we finished the, the Captain Beefart record. Uh, the first one I did, I ended up doing two with him. And one thing about uh, Don Van Vliet or Captain Beefheart, the guy was was a psychic. Like, I'd never met a psychic like that in my life. And things were constantly going crazy in the studio. And, and his wife would just keep records of all these things that would be happening. But anyway, we were at a restaurant, and he does a toast uh, to me and uh, and everything. And he takes his glass and throws it into the fireplace, and I look between two of my fingers, I'm holding like a little piece of glass. And I said, Don, look at this. He says, well, it got to the right person, you know. How that got there, I don't know, you know. And I have a picture of he and myself, and I'm holding this little piece of glass. Like, you can't see the little piece of glass, but, but that's what the picture is about, hanging on my wall here. Now, the other story, I was working with Janice Joplin, and I came in, and she's sitting on this guy's lap. And I figured, what? who is this guy? I never saw him before. What does he want? You know, Janice, of course, was a big star. And she says, Glenn, come over here. I want you to meet somebody. And uh, she says, this is Chris Christopherson. He's going to be a big star someday. And I said, uh, glad to meet you, Chris. But if you're going to be in show business, you might think about changing your last name. And they both laughed. They thought that uh, that was uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, but he was—I didn't realize that he had written a song that she was going to do called "Me and Bobby McGee." At the time, I never even knew knew of the guy. Later, years later, I did work with him on a live uh, uh, show we did at uh, Big Sur. 
But uh-huh. that's uh, by Janice Joplin, Chris Christophus, in the story, D.A. <laughs> well, I, it's just good the second time around. And I think I'm just, you know, I, it's just amazing that these people have come in and out of your life. And um, you've had the opportunity to, uh, to work with them, become friendly with them, be, be a part of their success. And um, I, had, I had another question that I wanted to ask you before we take another caller. Um, uh, tell me about your working relationship with Clive Davis. Well, it was really interesting because what I, I guess it was because of Clive that uh, I, end, I ended up working at Columbia Records because when he took over, uh, most of the engineers there were doing uh, jazz and Broadway shows and, and uh, middle-of-the-road music, and he wanted to get some younger engineers there to do some rock and roll. Right. And uh, we did get to know each other uh, pretty well because uh, uh, now I, we, I would, was bringing him acts and things like that. And, and when I was in San Francisco, he'd come out and always uh, throw a party at the uh, – at the. I used to stay at the Fairmont Hotel and places like that, and in the presidential suite, and he'd always invite me and, and things like that. I've been to the CBS conventions with him. One year he gave me four gold records, uh, so that was exciting for me too. I got a picture of that. And uh, so, you know, we had a good relationship, really, really did. And Glenn, are you ready to take another caller? Yeah, sure. Anytime All you're ready. Right. All right, from uh, <clears throat> the greater Philadelphia area, are you there? <laughs> I am. Oh, a lady, a lady. <laughs> huge classic rock fan, huge 80s fan. And and you speak of Clyde Davis, so I think of Whitney Houston. But um, uh, I definitely want to uh, extend my, my warmest um, love for you because – that's amazing. I I I, I am a, I am 39, but I, I definitely love everything you've produced. Neil Young is oh, like one of my top top people. Wow. So. Wow. Thank you very much. That's that's really nice. <laughs> it's really really funny because I, you know I was born in Philadelphia. Oh, you were. Yeah. Where? As a matter of fact, since you're in Philadelphia, I yeah. You might like this story because you probably know these names. Uh, while I was at Columbia, New York, I did the sessions with with the, this production team called Gamble and Huff, and they okay. they got a deal from you know all the all the executives, including Clive Davis, came to the session. I didn't know what was going on, so I did the session. It was about a seventeen piece band, and the music was just incredible. And after after the session was over, they both said, "Look, they they're getting a new label." And they wanted me to uh, work with them in Philadelphia, but I was having such a good time working in New York, and uh, I didn't really. Remember I definitely detect the New Jersey, much. New York air, uh, accent. My accent? So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, because I lived a lot of years in California too, so <laughs> and now I'm in Florida. <laughs> well, you, well, yeah, you Glenn, still I, I lived in California. Yeah, you haven't lost your roots, and I, I lived in California for a number of years, and now I, I've been living in New York City for a while, and uh, everyone tells me I have a Midwest accent, and I get I get antsy because I'm like, you don't hear the Cali in me. <laughs> I definitely say water. I don't say witter, but uh, <laughs> I'm from the Midwest, but I moved here like 20 you know 20 years ago, so I, uh, I, I I'm a Philadelphian at this point, but uh, it's a good city, and I just I, I just absolutely uh, appreciate all that you've done. Wow. Oh, thank you. That's great. Yeah. Did, did you ever hear of Gamble and Huff? Or, or Philadelphia Huff? International? That was a record label out of Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Philadelphia <laughs> International. The Philly Soul. Yeah, and I had all these hits, which I would have done, actually. Every time they had a hit, I said, well, I could have done that. And I often <laughs> think of what would have happened if I would have, you know, <clears throat> Jimi Hendrix asked oh. me to join him because he was starting building a studio. So after we got finished working with Electric Ladyland, he, they offered me a job. He offered me a job. And I didn't take I should have been born either. in the 60s. 
My parents always told me I should have been born in the 60s. Jimi Hendrix is one of my all-time faves. So. Wow. Definitely. Well, was, You're a lucky man. You're a lucky man. Yeah, hanging out with that guy, you know, and it was, it was re- we had so much fun because we had so much in common because we were both <laughs> in the Army at the same time, and between uh, uh, cross-town traffic and all along the Watchtower, we're telling each other Army stories. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. And well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for 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 calling in. Yes, thank you. Uh, and obviously, wow, a lot of fans out there. A lot of people that are going to be down there picketing with me, Glenn, in front of the Rock Hall. <laughs> And uh, certainly uh, at the next concert here, because I think a lot of the uh, concerts for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame are down at Barclays these days. So I'll just we'll get a whole crew together and uh, we'll get we'll get some of those big uh, blow up uh, pictures of your head uh, and we'll just we'll carry them around the stadium. (laughs) Oh, okay, It sounds good. Just like the Thanksgiving Day parade, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we could we could work on getting you a big blow up, uh, big blow up float type thing, and we'll get some strings, and I'll carry it. Yeah. Right. I don't know. It sounds if, good to me. Sounds like I don't fun. know if our, um, I don't know if our caller was familiar with uh, with Gamble and Huff, but 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 I certainly am, and uh, and the Philly sound and bands like the Delphonics and uh there was a lot of great music coming out of Philadelphia in the 60s and 70s. Oh yeah, and, I loved um, it too. Yeah, it was a great it was a it was, there was some great great records being made and a lot of 40, you know, a lot of singles, a lot of 45s that um that I, you know, I recall listening to as a really young kid and um some of my favorite records. Um and also out of Chicago as well. Um so, you know, this country during that period of time there was a certain sound kind of coming out of a out of a certain part of the country, and it was very unique and specific to that part of the country. And um, I guess you know you've had an opportunity to work up with some of these people. I did have a question. Yeah. Um, you're in, in, within your credentials. Uh, uh, I've read that you worked with Simon and Garfunkel. I'm curious to know what records you produced uh, for them. Well, I I didn't really produce any records for them, but I knew them personally because uh, I was friendly with their their producer, a guy named Roy Halley, uh-huh, yeah. and uh, he was working on on all their records. And and when it came down to, I worked with them. I was remixing tracks of music for them when they were for when they were on television. The music I portion I'd mix, and they'd sing it live on TV. So you know, I was working with both of them uh, on that aspect. But I knew him, you know, first name basis and all that. And I'll never forget one after, uh, well, I, I was in the studios at Columbia Records in New York, and Roy Halley comes up to my studio and said, You got to come down, you got to hear this record we just did. And so I went down to the studio, and they played me uh, this thing called Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Right. <laughs> which, I, which I performed you know, no, live. at that time. Which, uh, Probably a handful of people heard it, and those were the musicians and and the producer and them. You know, they said, "Well, what do you think?" I said, "What do I think? I think it's number one. It's a masterpiece." You know. Yeah, and and yeah, and, and little cool. little did they know. It, yeah, little did they know at the time it was a it was a homage to my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it was interesting. Just you know, I, I, you take it. For granted, when you work in a place like Columbia Studios was, you know, you go out for a, to the hallway for a drink of water and you bump into uh, Barbara Streisand or someone like that, right. you know, or Tony Bennett. Well, they need more to take it for, You get to take all these things for granted. That's just how it is, you know, and you think, you know, so but the average person, you know, it's amazing, I guess. Well, um I have one more important question, um, and then I guess we'll take another caller if we have. I just want to let uh, our listeners know uh, while I have a, a second. If you'd like to call in and speak to Glenn, we have a little more time. The number is 646-668-8494. That's 646-668-8494. And um, uh, Glenn, tell me if you have any uh, – uh, tell me about any recent or upcoming projects that you uh, – have worked on or are uh, about to work on? 
Well, I've been having meetings about different projects, but nothing's been settled, and I don't want to mention it because I'm really superstitious. So am I. You know, because yeah, every I, time I mention I hear something, I know. I, I get you. Anyway. Say no more. I know. So I, know. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to mention anything and put the hex on it myself. Well, well, ho- hopefully, the, hopefully the DA Cole project will be in your uh, in your near future. Yeah, well, that'll be good. You know, and uh, you know, I'm I'm always looking for uh, some good music to record. It's uh, it's still a hobby with me. You know. All right. Well, we uh, I you know, I'm gonna come down uh, to where you are in this in the Southland uh, in in the uh, after you know I have I'm I'm dropping a record to radio uh, next week. I'm I'm releasing a single, and it's a single that you heard. And um, if you'd like to stay on the line um, after we c- complete our interview with you, uh, we're gonna we're gonna play we're gonna actually debut my uh, my upcoming single here on my show on the show. And, um, oh, I'd love to hear it. Okay. Well, if you'd like to stay on the line and. Um, we're going to do that in just a few minutes, but uh, uh, I think Brian had a question for you. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm trying to think, you know, I, I, full disclosure, uh, the last person that called was actually my sister. <laughs> and again, I, I just echo the sentiments that uh, just what a big fan she is. Now, just kind of keeping it within the family, my son uh, thinks that the funniest video he's ever seen is the uh, Talking Heads video with David Byrne once in a lifetime where he's, you know, kind of flopping around in that suit. And he's and I told him that I was going to be talking to uh, the gentleman that had worked with Talking Heads in the past. Uh, do, you, do you have any good, like, David Byrne stories that I could take home well, to a six-year-old? Well, well, the whole thing, uh, how I got to work with them and everything, the story in itself, I was in San Francisco uh, at at a time, and I was working with this. Other than Columbia Records, I was working with a company called Berserkly Records, and I was producing records with people like uh, Jonathan Richmond and uh, groups like Earthquake and the Ruben News. We had a top forty hit with the Ruben News and whatnot. And so I went, flew to New York with Matthew Kaufman, who was the president of Berserkly Records, and we we went into the studio out in Long Island, uh, Kazanets and Cats. It was their studio. And we recorded this group, and I did like four tunes with them. And I, and one tune that really struck me as, as great was a thing called Psycho Killer. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, that that was great. Kiss, kiss, you know? And we were trying to sign them. We were trying to sign them, and... Uh, uh, the record they saw, the label they signed with had more money than us, and so they went with them. Uh, but uh, it was fun working with them. Well, that never them. happened. You know, nobody, yeah. I never heard of them, of course. You know, Nobody did at that time. I guess unless you went into CBGBs, which is right. uh, that's another story yeah. anyway. Because I produced a record with the guy that owned Heebie-Jeebies, a guy named Hilly, Hilly Crystal. <laughs> Heebie-Jeebies. <laughs> well, I just remember, I just remember, you know, when, when you're using the CBGB replica bath, men's restroom, as an just, as an art piece. I, I actually at the at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, they did a like a kind of a rock uh, art thing a couple of years ago, and they they had recreated the CBGB bathroom. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> it was disturb. It was uh. It should have been banned, uh, you know, in 38 countries. Uh, just what was, you know, squalor is all I have to say. I think I think Glenn wow. said they called it. Yeah, I don't TV remember TV. it as being a work of art. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I, guess I, I must have been in there a couple of times, but I can't yeah. I couldn't draw it myself. <laughs> well, it was down. I mean, they had it down to the porcelain fixtures and the and the latrines. And let me tell you something. It had it, it had not been cleaned in quite some time. I believe that. I believe that. That's for sure. Well, that was a um, great place rate, to see bands. Oh, no, yeah. I sure. mean, it's just, yeah, it was just uh, incredible. And again, just hearkening back to that, I was born in a different time. And um, I just, there's so much uh, history with everything that you've done and everything that you've participated in. And uh, do do you have... I mean, do you, do you have a book coming out? I mean, is there is there any? I mean, I'm sure if the walls could talk, for crying out loud. Well, well, I do. I have been writing a book, you know, and I'm looking for like a ghostwriter to because I I think I make better records than I do writing. You know, okay. so, yeah. right. Most so I, people I have do. about I have about 30 pages done on the book, you know, so far. 
Uh, well, so, I mean, 30 pages is better than zero. And uh, from what, you know, talking to my author friends and folks that even dabble, if you, you know, get up early, write two pages, go get a cup of coffee, come back, maybe write two more pages, like, uh, before you go to bed. And before you know it, in a year, you've got a couple hundred pages. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if I might run out of, you know, the best stories so far. You know, I mean, I've been in the business a lot of years, but... But uh, I think the ones that I really remember are probably in there already. So. Yeah. Well, I know a couple ghostwriters that are that are uh, that are creeping through the hallways where we are right now. So maybe we might be able to might be able to get you fixed up. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, Glenn, thank you so much for for coming on tonight. I mean, I, it's obviously you're a you're a national treasure. And uh, in a lot of ways, especially just uh, so much, um, you know, love that's out there right now for for all the things that you've done and and and, you know, independent of the stories and and all of the rock and roll minutia. It's where the rubber meets the road is is just is the results. And you are my friend, not uh, you have not you have not uh, missed the mark on the results portion of that. Uh, so thank you so much. Well, thank you. I, and it sure has been fun. And you just want me to, I'll just stay on to listen to your song, right? Yes, please do Glenn. And I, I concur with everything that Brian has just, uh, has just said, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. I wish you the best of luck in the future. And I, and I, we will certainly talk uh, off air about uh, putting something together uh, and working together in the near future. I'm very excited about the possibility of that. And um, I think we uh, could make a great record together. So, um, yeah, here is sure. uh, uh, well, guess, here's here's uh, I'll, I'll just you. introduce this for, for Da. Uh, this is a song I think that he had written. Recording. What? Fourth time is the fourth journey. time recording. That's well. That's another thing we could probably talk about with Glenn is just the evolution of songs just on its own. There's a, there's another very very well known record, Glenn, that I know that I know you're aware of. Uh, it's a song called Brandy, recorded by the Looking Glass, and um, oh and yeah, the version sure. the version of the song that you're aware of that is as popular and as successful as it has become is the fourth recording of that song. It was recorded three times prior and just didn't hit. It wasn't uh, wasn't promoted properly or it just wasn't the right recording. And uh, the fourth recording became worldwide, you know, phenomenon and has been in many, many movies. And um, it's still a popular record on the radio as uh, well. Red Light Green Light, this is the fourth recording. So hopefully the fourth time is the charm. It will be released to Country Top 40 Radio uh, next Tuesday or Wednesday. I'll have the exact date, probably in the next 24 hours. But um, yeah, so I, without further ado, I guess uh, the worldwide debut. Woo! Here we go. How will I know it's okay to go a little farther, a little farther? How will I show you the way into my garden, into my garden?
Hey now. Back in the studio again, DA and Brian Gard. And uh, we want to thank our guest, Glenn, uh, for coming on tonight, for crying out loud. I mean, wow. Once again, thanks, Glenn Kalakin, uh, music producer extraordinaire, for being our guest. And um, please uh, tune in on May 25th when our guest will be financial guru uh, from MSNBC and CNBC, Ron Insana. So for uh, Brian Gard, I'm D.A. Cole saying good night. Good night.